folks, Jeff Salzman here, and welcome to The Daily Evolver. Today, I want to look at the situation that I think is on everybody's mind and heart at the moment, and that is the chaos in Afghanistan as the U.S. leaves the country after 20 years of war. And before I get into the topic, I just wanted to do a couple housekeeping things. One is to thank Integral Life for hosting me many years now. And I'm on the Integral Life YouTube Live and Integral Global Facebook page and the Integral Life portal online. <laughs> and, um, and I also want to plug a, a episode that they are putting out tomorrow live with Namali Pereira, who's a dear friend of mine and helps me with the Daily Evolver. And, um, and Namali is doing a session on Afghanistan meeting at the crossroads of complexity, chaos, and compassion. And that'll be tomorrow, August 19th, Thursday at 9 a.m. Pacific time, 4 p.m. Greenwich Mean Time. Okay, so that puts us at today is Wednesday, August 18th. And the whole situation in Afghanistan right now is very much in flux. There's people trying to get to the airport, there's troops going in, there's planes coming out, there's a lot of fog of war, actually. It's hard to know exactly what's happening at any given time. So I'm not going to try to sort out all the events. As I normally do, I'm, I'm going to try to zoom out a couple clicks in the Google map here and just try to see what the evolutionary aspects of all of this are and what even policy arguments we might make as, uh, as, as a result of being informed by that. So first, I would just say that Afghanistan is and has been for a long time, centuries maybe, an amazing lesson for the world in the principles of development, consciousness and cultural development. And for a number of reasons, uh, that they've been conquered numerous times, that there are a lot of disparate tribes, the geography itself. Afghanistan has been one of the least developed countries in the world. It's uh, lagging in development. Its center of gravity is what we would call tribal. Uh, it could be, uh, some of it is more the, the real tribes and clans of purple stage of development, the red warrior stage of development. And then there is the blue or amber in the Wilbur model, traditional stage of development. So it hangs out in that territory where it is in some ways a very sour spot. The humanity has gone through it. Europe went through it 300 years ago and it's the land of the holy warrior. So you have the red warrior and the blue amber holy traditionalist, and you have an aggressive ethnocentric uh, country of warriors. And again, this is a normal stage of human development. And the, the goal at this stage is to fight the enemy. The world is a titanic battle between good and evil. And if you're not fighting, you're not being responsible. And this stage, 
also has, you know, it's an, it's an enchanted stage. These people are lit up by the reality of God, by the project of creating God's heaven on earth. And it's very romantic and very beautiful uh, for, you know, when, you, when you're there, it's, in, it's enchanted. And the modern world, of course, disenchants that whole romantic mythic structure and creates a rational structure and loses something in the process. And we talk about that a lot on the Daily Evolver. So that's, that, you know, that's trying to understand this, this stage. This is where the Taliban is. And we'll see where the Taliban is now, uh, 20 years later. But 20 years ago, the Taliban was in power, had been in power for about five years between 1996 and 2001, which is when the US invaded after 9-11. And they weren't very good, you know. They were, I was reading about them and, and it just Nazi comparisons just continued to arise. I mean, they were doing genocide. They were doing scorched earth, starvation of the enemies. Religious minorities were made to wear cloth badges. They had to hang flags from their homes. And although they didn't have the modern technology of the Nazis, fortunately, uh, they had that, um, you know, that, that's, that, that, Mentality, of course, again, this is a perfectly legitimate stage of human development, but it's a sour spot in history when pre-modern, you know, genocidal, my tribe is the best, we must triumph, is married to modern weaponry. And in the case of the Nazis, they created their own. The Afghans were nowhere close to be able to create the kind of weaponry that the, um, the, the Germans did but they were able to use it. And in the case of 9-11, they literally hijacked one of our own passenger jets, learned to fly it enough that they were able to turn it into a very effective weapon. And, you know, people tell me I'm optimistic. I have an optimistic view of the world. And I, I do. I, 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 I tend to put it in terms of a faithful view of the world. I see the tra trajectory, but you know, I mean, 70% of the world's, world's population is traditional or earlier. So what that means is that they think that their culture is superior to any other, it should triumph. And the only question we have is how aggressively and violently are they gonna go about doing that? And in a world where the, again, this pre-modern mentality can get its hands on viruses or nukes or, you know, jets or bombs or whatever. Uh, I think we're going to see in more chaos and consternation to come. So anyway, that's what happened to us, 9-11. So that kicks off this whole adventure in Afghanistan with the U.S. being the latest uh, in a series of uh, empires to try to conquer that land. And, but you know, what do we do? Uh, the the, the Al-Qaeda was clearly coming from, from uh, uh, Afghanistan. And so we have to, I don't know, back in those days, this was 20 years ago after all, Bush came up with the idea that we subjugate or better put, liberate them. 
and we go and we take over and we bring them into the modern world and solve a problem and show how it's done. And, you know, I get from sort of an evolutionary point of view that there is a responsibility. I think we're just sorting it out. We learned a big lesson here. But there's a responsibility for people who are at the higher stages of development that are peaceful. That's one of the achievements of modernity over traditionalism is that we fight with economics and we fight with maybe cyber wars and bitcoins or whatever, but we don't use clubs and knives and guns. And that's huge progress. So we wanted to do that. We kind of still want to do that. But we have in 20 years learned a lot about how not to do that. And so I want to take a look at that. And I want to use integral principles to, you know, look at basically the two big strategies here. One is the integral case for staying in Afghanistan the way we were. And the other is the integral case for leaving. Because I see the truth of both of them. <laughs> I, I tend to believe the last person I talk to uh, when they argue for one or the other of these. So anyway, the integral case for staying in Afghanistan, for not doing what Biden wanted to do, actually Obama wanted to do it, Trump wanted to do it, even you know, Bush didn't have any sense that we were going to go in there and occupy for 20 years. But no, here we are. So we have a status quo where 3,000 or so troops tend to be able to keep a lid on. It's still going to have an insurgency. There's going to be suicide bombings. There's going to be terrorism. There's going to be assassinations. But we hadn't had a casualty in 18 months. We're spending about 1% of the Pentagon budget and, you know, things are grinding along. And uh, maybe we take that deal. And I think from an evolutionary point of view, there's an argument for that because what evolution brings or emergence integral theory brings to the study of culture and consciousness is the realization that it's not a static system that there's an updraft of emergent evolution of consciousness, of learning and growing that is built into every culture. Now, again, this, this, this holy warrior culture could go on for hundreds of years and has for thousands of years at least in human history, but it can also in a modern context, perhaps center of gravity be brought up. So what we do is we just hang out, we, you know, keep the, the mess somewhat under control and let evolution do its work. As the Taliban becomes less red, less violent, less warrior, more traditional, which is, you know, you can deal with traditional if they see it's in their interests. Their children and their, and their grandchildren get smartphones and plugged into the internet and they start engaging with the modern world and the natural growth in complexity does its thing and they become more open, less violent. At the same time, we're keeping the geopolitical status quo. This is the case for staying, you know, the sphere of US influence. We don't want China to get any foothold in there. And, um, you know, modern as institutions get built, the world turns and that's a strategy 
for Afghanistan. And that's uh, the one that Biden finally pulled the plug on. So that, like I said, I kind of agree with that. Uh, but I also agree with the integral case for going. And, you know, I think it's in a way that Afghanistan is, is symbolic of a, a bigger realization that is emerging in, you know, the sort of the, at least the, the leading 25, 30% of the strata of the world, if you will, the modern world. And that is the last gasp of an idea that has enthralled humanity since probably day one. And that is this idea that other people can be conquered, that you can impose through either force or persuasion <laughs> a worldview on another person other than the one they already have. And I think we're giving up on that. You know, we're seeing it, we're see, seeing it in Afghanistan. You know, the Taliban strolls down from the north and uh, over from the west into Kabul and nobody even resists them, not really. And we see it in our own culture war with our own Magistan, you know, the Trump people, the God and country people, and Wokistan, the justice people, and they're not changing. You know, they're, they're all growing, everybody's growing, but in the meantime, we have to find a way to live with each other. And we see that in our friendships, in our family, maybe even in our own sub-personalities, actually. So I think that's an integral insight. I think that, enter, you know, that helps us to enter uh, teal or, 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 or yellow, that sort of, it's a surrender of ideology that is, you know, kind of a drag and it feels empty, but it's required before there could be an authentic new integration of worldviews and cultures. And I, um, I was struck by a entry, as you may know if you listen to me much, I am a big fan of Reddit. And Reddit is a social media platform where you can just, you can be just the voyeur of voyeurs. You can listen in on any number of conversations, infinite conversations about all sorts of things. And one of my favorite um, places to hang out on Reddit is where Muslims are talking about their culture with each other. And of course, if they're on the internet, they're at least modern, enough, you know, again, in the te techno side, you know, their hearts are often all over the place and they're working it out. It's really a very fertile place. But I'm gonna read from a entry from uh, an Afghanistan man who tries to explain his culture to this world of Reddit. And he says, half of Afghanistan supports the Taliban and the other half doesn't really oppose them. So this outcome was inevitable. Basically, the government and Kabul didn't really change people's lives much. And they sympathized ideologically, culturally, and socially more with the Taliban than with their, quote, liberators. 
All the talk of reforms to liberate women and such was mostly for Western media. And what little was imposed wasn't actually valued by the vast majority of the population. They basically saw things the same way the Taliban did, perhaps not to the extent of banning music and things like that, but certainly from the morality side of things, homosexuality, abortion, and the idea of women holding real power or really doing anything serious outside the home was a hilarious joke. Like, yes, girls could go to school if people who paid for the school and everything else really wanted that in order to keep paying. But let's be serious. It was only something you did when the Westerners were watching. Culturally, the West made far fewer inroads than the Western public has been led to believe. The Taliban restoring the status quo is being welcomed by much of the population. And, um, you know, I, I, that's, a, that's, I think, I, I've certainly learned that in the last week. I thought that the institutions were stronger. Um, and, you know, in a way that the, the, the fact that the, the culture collapsed and let the Taliban walk in was better than what we were expecting, apparently. Apparently, we were expecting that there would be some resistance from the Afghan forces, from the Afghan government. And that would have been bloody. That would have been its own version of a civil war. That's, I think, what we were hoping for. There'd be some sort of, they'd work it out. Well, this is how they're working it out. And, um, and I'm not sure that that's the worst case scenario, considering what, what we had. We had some chaos at the airport. We had some loss of life. Every life is precious. Uh, but as Ross Douthat said in the New York Times, the failure of the tactic often justifies the strategy. And you know, I think about that too. But the idea is, is that the failure of us to leave in an orderly way just points to the fact that there was nothing there to rely on and justifies the strategy of getting out. So again, this is the integral justification for getting out is um, every country gets, you can't make an eight-year-old turn into a 12-year-old. You know, an eight-year-old is not a defective 12-year-old. An eight-year-old actually has qualities that a 12-year-old or a 16-year-old or a 20-year-old loses. Often a sense of magic, a sense of myth, a, you know, uh, there's lots, you know, the, we, we, we uh, um, uh, uh, romanticize childhood for a reason. And, you know, our job as integralists is to relate to people where they are and to let them be where they are, not just let them be where they are, but appreciate with them where they are and to help them be there, create life conditions as best we can, uh, you know, using whatever influence we have and being humble about that to create the most healthy situation possible. And $2 trillion, $2 trillion, I don't know. I have to think it made a dent. I have to think that there has been some movement. I mean, certainly the Taliban, as they're presenting themselves now, um, you know, women will have rights within Sharia law. They don't seem to be doing, you know, massacres or genocides at the moment. They, I, again, I'm not trying to parse this particular Wednesday afternoon, but it looks like they're letting people through and out 
and um, and then sometimes not. But it's not the genocidal maniacs of 20 years ago. So we'll see. You know, the, 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 we can see even in Afghanistan the evolution of war itself. We talk about a war that America couldn't have won or couldn't didn't win. We lost. Well, we lost it um, appropriately uh, because of moral development. If we had the moral development that we had in World War II, we would have, you know, leveled the place. And we could have, could have done that, but not morally. And that's huge. That's, that's worth noting. You know, even um, at, at, at the end here, this, if you look at the end of wars, even with the chaos at the airport, um, this is a pretty benign one. Uh, when you look at World War II, the idea that World War II ended on uh, VE Day is, or VJ Day, was is ridiculous. Uh, I, I recommend the book Savage Continent, which lays out the, you know, hideous repercussions and refugee crises and all of the, you know, basically red um, situation state that Europe was in after World War II for several years, but they got it together. You know, they had, they had enough of the modern consciousness to do that. <clears throat> we'll see here, you know, the Taliban is gonna have to govern and we'll see how they work with modern institutions, a, a more modern world, a more connected world with trade. I don't know. Um, all we can do is, uh, you know, sort of hope around that um, and to uh, do whatever, affect it however we can. And <laughs> you're going to hate this, but I'm actually a fan of thought and prayers in the sense that there is a morphic field of human consciousness somehow, in some way. I'm not exactly sure how. But you know, I do think that it's worth, it's like what Namali's doing tomorrow with, it'll be both some discussion and spiritual practice. And, um, you know, we, I saw yesterday on Twitter, somebody posted a picture of the Afghans crowded into that transport plane. And of course the pictures at the airport where they're climbing up and they're holding onto the airplane, oh my goodness. And the uh, recommendation was to blow this up and look at every face. And look at, you know, a, a, every single person is a human being, a complete universe, actually, every one of them. A great novel could be written about any one of their stories. Isn't that something? And so you, you, uh, you, you have to, sensitize yourself to that. This is the bodhisattva vow in a way. I, I, I sometimes think that at a certain stage of development, certainly when, once you get into full green, the bodhisattva vow takes you in the sense of the, the bodhisattva vow is a Buddhist vow that says, I will postpone my enlightenment until everybody, all beings are enlightened. And then after that, I'll be enlightened. And that's just true. I mean, you, you can't be happy when this is going on. You can't be fully happy. Uh, it's, it's not allowed morally. And yet we also are given this life 
and happiness is available. And there is, you know, Ken Wilber talks about that as one moves into integral consciousness, that the suffering of the world hurts more, bothers you less. And I've, that's been a koan for me, actually, because the increased sensitivity of <clears throat> the suffering of the world is part of moral development. And it can, um, you know, sort, sort of overwhelm us. I was talking to a friend of mine the other, actually, this was probably a month or so ago. And I said, how are you? And she said, I'm depressed. And against my better judgment, <laughs> I said, so why are you depressed? And she said, the children of Myanmar. And then she told me about the suffering of the children of Myanmar. There was something going on there. And I can't deny that it's moral development and also technical development. I mean, the development in the lower right quadrant, that is the outside of the, uh, of the collective, the, the world of technology and cameras, and we get so much information. We know way, I want to say we know way too much, but we know what we know. And, um, and so we have to, uh, so we, we have to look and that does affect us and it should affect us. And maybe it even motivates us to give money or to help out in some way, or certainly to vote, to talk, to think, actually to think, to pray, to do tonglen, to engage it in some way. And, uh, you know, again, when, when people tell me I'm uh, Pollyanna, <laughs> you know, I, I just don't see it. I mean, the, 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 the physics, I, I, I've been thinking lately, you know, people, the, the scientists and physicists talk about the multiverse, that this could be just one universe, our universe, one universe of many, you know, a foaming uh, beer of universes. And uh, each one has its own physics. And if that's true, I will have to say that I hope the physics of these other universes aren't as brutal as ours. I mean, the children of Myanmar, the Haiti, I mean, good Lord, what more can happen to Haiti? And then just the suffering everywhere. I mean, my goodness, it, uh, it, it's, it's almost more than one can bear. And this is one of the, um, you know, sort of great dilemmas of being human at every stage. And I'm, I'm afraid it doesn't end, but our relationship to it does. So let's work on that. Okay, I think that'll do me today. I appreciate you hanging in here with me and, uh, you know, we'll keep engaged with this story as it unfolds. I would um, also say that uh, I thank you for uh, listening to the Daily Evolver, watching it. I do encourage you to watch it at fast speed. You can do that on YouTube uh, by pressing that little um, gear at the bottom right of the YouTube and it'll show playback speeds. It's like changed my life because videos were always so slow. I've been listening to podcasts and books and so forth that's fast speed for a long time. And, uh, but it's great. So there's that. You can go to dailyevolver.com, see all my stuff for the last 10 years. Um, also, uh, the YouTube, Daily Evolver YouTube, you can subscribe to that and check out Twitter and all that good stuff. 
Okay, in the meantime, I, oh, I, one more thing I wanted to say is that on Fridays at 11 o'clock Mountain Time, so that's 10 Pacific Time, um, I do a live podcast called This Week in the New York Times, a post-progressive look at the progressive paper of record. And I do that for the Institute for Cultural Evolution on their post-progressive Facebook. So it's live on post-progressive Facebook group. And I'd encourage you to sign up for that and to be there. And, um, you know, I'm doing it every week until I fall over. <laughs> so anyway, thanks, folks. See you next time.